This is Archbishop Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago. Today, I invite you to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a non-for-profit apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization that utilizes media, both old and new, to share the faith on every continent and facilitate an encounter with Christ in His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. This is an invitation to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. When our hearts are open, the Lord changes and transforms us so that we in turn begin to share the warmth and light of Jesus Christ, who is the Word on Fire. The global benefactors of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I wonder if you heard the recent remarks of David Cameron. He's the Prime Minister of Great Britain. He was interviewed about the significance of Easter, and he said famously that the message of Easter is, I'm quoting him now, kindness, compassion, hard work, and responsibility. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm for all those things. I think those are all good things. But so is, I would guess, any decent person from any religious or non-religious background. I mean... Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, Jews, fair-minded atheists, agnostics, I think would all sign on for the values of kindness, compassion, hard work, and responsibility. The point is, none of it is getting anywhere near the heart of what Easter really means. Nothing as anodyne and harmless as little values like hard work and responsibility. Easter, properly understood, is always an earthquake. It's always an explosion and a revolution. Because what Easter means is that Jesus of Nazareth, who claimed throughout his public life to be speaking and acting in the very person of God, and who was brutally put to death by Roman executioners, rose bodily from death. That's what Easter means. That's what resurrection faith is about. Notice, please, the detail that emerges in our gospel reading for this third Sunday of Easter. Just after his appearance to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus, we are told, suddenly appeared in the midst of his followers in the upper room. Understandably terrified, they thought they were seeing a ghost. You know, it's important to dwell just for a moment on this, because in our kind of cultural arrogance, We tend to think of ancient people as hopelessly naive, gullible, ready to believe any outlandish report. But what's really clear from all of ancient literature is that they all knew about visions and dreams and hallucinations. They also knew, as we do, about reports of ghosts and specters, people from from, uh, the other side of death. And in fact, we hear that's what they thought they were dealing with at first. So so let's please disabuse ourselves of the notion that these poor, simple, gullible people just believed any old nonsense. 
No, no. They found resurrection from the dead as incredible as we find it, as hard to believe as, as we do. But now listen to Jesus. His first move is to disabuse them of the notion that he's a ghost. Look at my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see that I have. Now, in a Greek philosophical context, I doubt whether attention would have been drawn to the physicality of the risen one. Go back to those great dialogues that Plato wrote, where Socrates and his friends are talking. The whole point is that life in this world is a kind of imprisonment of the soul. This noble, exalted spiritual aspect is imprisoned, as it were, in the body. And the whole point for Socrates and his friends is to effect a jailbreak, is to find a way and see philosophy for Socrates as the privileged way, to break free of the shackles of matter. Think now in a more developed way of Plato's parable of the cave. To escape from the realm of illusion, well, it's escaping through philosophical meditation from the limitations of the body. Now, the ultimate prison break is the prison break of death, which is precisely why Socrates is welcoming death, why he drinks the hemlock with a certain enthusiasm, because now he knows the soul can escape from the body. As I say, all of that might be Socrates and Plato and Greek philosophy. It's just not biblical. The biblical God saw all that he had made, all of matter, even even the ordinary things that crawl upon the earth. He saw all that he had made and found it good. The ensemble of it he found very good. It's most important to note, as one of the marks of, of the resurrection, that the God of creation has not given up on his creation. This is not a ghost we're dealing with the risen Jesus, a soul's escape from a body. This is an embodied person. While they were still incredulous for joy and were amazed, I love that phrase from the gospel, they they were incredulous for sheer joy. He stunned them even further. Listen, have you anything here to eat? He says. It's curious, isn't it? (laughs) The risen Jesus, this climax of, of history, of the history of salvation. And what does he ask? Have you got something to eat? And with that, they gave him a piece of baked fish, which he ate in their presence. See, what's, what's becoming abundantly clear, and that's what Luke is interested in communicating, this has nothing to do with ghosts or fantasies, or dreams, or abstractions, or velleities, or or disembodied souls. That's not what the resurrection's about. Oh, it's a projection, it's a fantasy, it's a wish fulfillment, it's a disembodied spirit, it's a ghost. It's none of that. What's being presented is someone who has been raised from the dead, glorified and resurrected at every level. See, that's Easter faith. Strange? Yep, it was strange 2,000 years ago. It's still strange today. Unnerving? Troubling? Uh Uh-huh. Hard to believe? Yeah, yeah. But see, worth believing.
and much more than some bland abstraction about kindness, compassion, hard work, and responsibility. That's the one thing Easter is not. Now, having seen all this, having seen what resurrection faith is, why does it matter? Well, let's take a look at our first two readings to get some answers. Our first reading for today is an extract from St. Peter's magnificent charismatic sermon in the Temple of Jerusalem. So here's Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He's seen the risen Christ. He's filled with the Spirit. He's now ready to preach. This is the fundamental, basic stuff of Christianity. What we notice, first of all, is there's nothing namby-pamby or ingratiating about the apostles' rhetoric. Listen to him now. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied in Pilate's presence. You denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. The author of life you put to death. Now, again, this is not... um, guaranteed to win friends and influence people. It's not that kind of rhetoric. Is he glorifying Jesus and affirming the resurrection? Absolutely. But he's also engaging in judgment on those who had stood opposed to Jesus. See, what's the resurrection on this reading? The resurrection is the surest sign possible that God stands athwart the injustice, stupidity, and cruelty of the world and its leaders. That God says no to all that produced the crucifixion of Jesus. Pontius Pilate, Sanhedrin, the apostles themselves. I mean, everyone that contributed to the death of Jesus. The resurrection, wonderful, yes. Life-affirming, yes. But it's also, by its very nature, a judgment, a condemnation on those who produced the cross. This is why, by the way, authentic Christianity, I don't mean one of its sort of namby-pamby simulacra, I mean the real thing, has always been a threat to tyrants. A watered-down, blandly symbolic interpretation of the resurrection can easily enough be set aside and hence poses no real threat to anybody. And that's why today an abstract, new-agey Christianity is precisely what the powers that be welcome. Think about that, friends, just for a second. I mean, why is this watered-down form of Christianity so popular? Why is it smiled upon by the culture? Well, because it poses no threat to the culture. Notice, please, how Peter's sermon, which is not namby-pamby, which names the pain. You know, you, the author of life came and you killed him. Notice how it ends. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be wiped away. Ah, now there's a sermon that's not meant just to make people feel good about themselves. There's a sermon whose purpose is repentance. Having seen your own sin in the light of the resurrected Jesus, now 
it's time to repent and be converted. Wow, how many of our sermons, our Easter sermons, have repentance as their focus and purpose? Now, here's a second implication of the resurrection. And we see it now in our readings. That we have a real advocate in heaven. Once again, be careful. The biblical imagination on this score is not Greek. It's not marked by sharp dualisms of matter and spirit. The great hope of Israel is not a jailbreak, not an escape from this world, but precisely, listen, the coming together of heaven and earth. It's the reconciliation of God's dimension and ours. At the heart of Jesus' great prayer is what? May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that's the Bible. That the divine reality of heaven might become a reality on earth. The bodily resurrection of Jesus, as Paul's language, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep, is the great sign that the two orders are coming together. A body which can be touched, which can consume baked fish, a body has found its way into the realm of heaven. The realm of heaven has come down and raised up a body, if you want to flip the thing around. The two orders are coming together. Bodies, finally, are not alien to God, and we have an advocate in the heavenly places. Now, here's the thing. If the resurrection is just a convenient story, it's a clever myth, it's a vague abstraction, it's a wish-fulfilling fantasy, well then, the two realms of heaven and earth are as separate as ever. The good news is, the good news of the bodily resurrection, is that heaven and earth are being knitted together. See, and friends, in that we find, in the biblical imagination, what salvation means. So, let's continue our great celebration of this magnificent feast, this magnificent truth of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Word on Fire. My prayer is that each of us may be on fire with love for God and neighbor. Until next week, I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Friends, I'd like to invite you to visit my free YouTube channel and join over 40,000 subscribers. Each week I post video commentaries on topics ranging from Catholic teaching to world news to pop culture. Subscribe free and you'll receive my newest videos straight to your inbox. Just visit youtube.com slash wordonfirevideo.